reading from 1 Samuel 7 verse 2 to 16. It was a long time, twenty years in all, that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jairim, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are turning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it before the Lord. On that day they fasted and they they confessed we have sinned against the Lord and Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them and when the Israelites heard of it they were afraid because of the Philistines they said to Samuel do not stop crying out to the Lord for us, <coughs> excuse me, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth -car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, This far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines, the towns of Ekron and Gath, and that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From here to here he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places, but he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also judged Israel. And he built an altar there to the Lord. May the Lord help us to understand this portion from the word of God and help us to apply to our life not only personally but within the church 
the same God who provided victory to the Israelites is still the head of his church. And he was, and as he was honored by Samuel and the Israelites after the battle against the Philistines, the fierce enemy of God's people, we would bring homage and praise to him today. We don't know what the future holds for the church in Australia. We don't know what the future holds for our families or our marriages or our personal lives. It's in the hands of God. How do we approach the future from what happened in the past? The question was surely in the minds of the Israelites at the time of Samuel and the Philistines. I want to put a few points. First thing is the future begins today. And we have to start in humble repentance before God. The history of Israel tells the story of a life of stumbling, falling, Repentance and restoration. You only need to read the book of Judges and, and, and you'll understand that. Because that's a, a theme that recurs all through the book. And all the time there was a real threat of war with the Philistines. It's a very interesting thing to go into. And one day when we have time I can go into this. Why was the Philistines always a threat to Israel? Think about that. But the Israelites would plant their crops, but there was a real possibility that they would never harvest it. You remember the times of Gideon too? When in the the valley of of, of the Jordan they'd plant their crops, very fertile and everything would grow, and just when it was about to be harvested, the, the, the Philistines would come in and take it. They would tend their flocks of sheep and and cattle, but there was the real possibility that they would never enjoy the benefit of the wool or the meat of it because the Philistines would just come and take it from them. The Philistines would plunder them over and over again. Israel was warned out by the Philistines. The ongoing raids and plunders were bearing very heavily on the people. And one city and one town after the other would fall in the hands of the enemy, and not a day went by, but there was no report of attacks. And the people asked themselves, did not God promise to give us this land? Has he forgotten us? What is wrong with God? Why can't we just wipe out the Philistines and carry on with our lives? Why is it that nothing happens? Has God turned away from us? Or have we turned away from God? This is the story of the modern church also today. Churches shrink under the attack of the world and the enemy, and people ask, why? 
Some Christians give up and lose sight of God's plan with His church. They then join forces of the world and in some instance actually invite the world into the church with hollow worship, entertainment in, as a form of worship, and unholy worldly practices within the church. The word is not preached and the members of the church don't study the word and they do not live according to the commandments of the Lord. Such a church will not stand in the hour of temptation and trial purely because it traded the basic principles of being church for what the world has on offer. A church where God is honored with lips and not with the heart has no future. Let's learn this lesson from Israel. Let's repent if such an attitude is found within our ranks. So God sent a prophet to preach the word of God to bring the people to repentance. That's what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 7. God sent Samuel and his message was clear and simple. No philosophizing around it. It was just straight word. Actually, God's people had heard this message over and over again. And now it was the message again. If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and, and, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. That was their choice. That was the recipe for a stable future. Samuel was fully aware of Israel's rebellion. They traded the living God who created the heavens and the earth in for a lifeless God. Can you just imagine? You've got there in your bag a little idol that you, you carry along. And then you go to Samuel and you say, Samuel, what's the problem? We don't have any rain in this country and we've got a problem. What happened to the Lord? Samuel says, dig into your bags and get your idols out of that. That's your problem. They became like the nations around them. They acted as if they were not God's people, rescued to be his holy possession. And God was not obliged to listen to the plea of the Israelite, but it was probably not the first time that Israel prayed for the people. To answer the prayers was God's prerogative because he dispenses of his grace as he determines. But in their droves, the Israelite male leaders gathered on Mizpah. Now, I, I haven't been to, to Israel, but apparently they say this Mount Mizpah was, is very high. It's just north of, of Israel, about seven miles north of, Israel, of, of uh, Jerusalem. And there's this huge high mountain called Mizpah. Now these people represented their families and their clans. That was the way of the covenant. God works in and through families. And as they walked up to this mountain from all parts of Israel, they constantly looked over their shoulders for a possible attack of the Philistines who might interpret this gathering of thousands of men as a military operation. They were concerned 
as they walked up this mountain about their wives and their children home and their crops and their animals the entire national life has become a disaster and 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 a, mis- a mystery a misery their their hearts now yearn for god to rescue them look we we grew up in, 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 well, we didn't grow up, but the last few years that I spent in Africa, well, it, it was just the same. It was just the same. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't go anywhere because of terrorists and, and the possibility of attacks. Even you went to church. We always had to have some form of a, a firearm on you 24 hours a day. School buses were escorted by the military to schools because of the possibility of landlines and maybe an attack on, on the way. And, and I feel for these people because I understand what it means to live in constant fear. You might be out on visits and come back and your wife and your family could be attacked. Or This is what happened there. When they got there and Samuel told them what the, the solution to the problem was, thank God they heeded his message through the prophet and repented. They got rid of the idols. The act of drawing water and pouring out on the ground was a public symbol of their repentance and their penitence. They, they, you could hear the people crying, we have sinned against the Lord. It was a, it was a massive revival in Israel. Now the question is, did God take away the enemy from them after this repentance straight away? No. And so is it still in the church today. Repentance does not safeguard the church against attacks from the enemy. Let's be clear about this. It's even possible that the church will have more battles to fight as soon as it decides to fight on the Lord's side. The difference is, the victory is secure. That's that's the difference. It's not a losing battle. Let's follow the story. And that takes us to the second point. God is the commander in this conquering battle. So my dear brother and sister, brace yourself. Put on the full armor of the Lord. Because there is a battle to be won. And you are involved in it. But the outcome of this battle is not dependent on me or on you. For as soon as God's people repented, and as soon as they found their refuge in the God of hosts, God became the enemy of the enemy. That's good news. Then the future is bright and the victory is sure. This corporate act of repentance before God, where Israel in its thousands lamented its transgressions before God, was seen by the Philistines as an act of provocation and aggression. So they mustered their ranks with the idea to overrun the troops of the army of the Lord on that mountain of Mizpah. And the Israelites were terrified to death, imploring the men of God to intercede for them. 
do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. Now you can you, you picture yourself this, this scene. On the mountain of Mizpah, thousands of the men of Israel were gathered in repentance before God. They were as exposed as one could think. And the, and the Philistines were approaching the mountain. The Philistines heard of this assembly, and they would ask themselves, did the Israelites gather to discuss a military action against us? Far from it. And they decided to close in on the mountain. Well, what a stupid move. We've got them right on top of the mountain. They argued. We've got them trapped in. We've got them where we want them. And God says, I've got them where I want them. Samuel, keep praying for us. If God does not give an outcome here today, we're history. And Samuel looked up, and with a firm voice he commanded, Give me a suckling lamb. And I think there was someone in the crowd that day would say, What's this man doing now? We don't have the time for rituals and prayers now. We can come back to this later. What, what we need to do now is, we've, we've got a war at our hands. We need to plan this war. We've got the, the Philistines coming like, like ants up this mountain. But Samuel took the suckling lamb and offered it to the Lord. The enemy might look at this act as the moment in which God's people would be at their weakest. Even today the world laughs at a church praying finding their strength in God. The act of humbling oneself before God is foolishness in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God, it is the only remedy for survival. When Samuel lit the fire and placed the lamb on it as a sacrifice to God without cutting it up in pieces, it is a symbol of their total commitment to the Lord. And the smoke went up into the heavens. And God accepted the sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The God of heaven and earth listened to the voice of his servant on behalf of his people. And many years later, God answered the need of his universal church in a very, very unusual way. And once again, it was a very foolish act in the eyes of the world. On a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem 
the Son of God was nailed to that cross. He was the Lamb of God who take away the sins of this world. There they flogged him, despised him, spat on him, laughed at him, mocked him. And when he died, they put him in a grave with a seal on it. And they thought they had the victory. But on the third day he conquered the grave and death and hell and sin. And there on the cross and through the open grave, God answered the prayer of Samuel. And he also answered the prayer of many martyrs through the ages. There he answered the prayers we will offer to him in the future as we have to face hard times. And the Bible says on the day when the people repented before God and God accepted their sacrifice, God thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines. Get the picture. God to whom the thunder and the winds and the clouds are as servants, commanded these to join forces with him and in the darkness of the cloud and the terrifying bolts of lightning and the violent wind God confused the enemy they had no idea what was going on and maybe God sent some hail upon them as he did in the day of Gideon it's quite possible now they became their own enemy this would happen over and over again in the history of God's people. This happened after the resurrection of our Lord, the Lamb of God. The enemy was in confusion. How is this possible, they'd ask. Moses, uh, Samuel took a stone and he stuck it in the ground. And he gave it a name, Ebenezer. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Just remember, not today you had victory. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. All of a sudden, the Israelites realized their roles were reversed. They were no longer the attacked, but the attacker. They pursued the fleeing uh, Philistines and drove them back out of their territory. And God provided a miraculous deliverance. Such a deliverance of the cross and the open grave. At first, the apostles locked themselves up in the upper room out of fear for the Jews. But after the resurrected Jesus appeared to them, and after they were a anointed with the Holy Spirit. It was a different story. Now they openly proclaimed the gospel and now openly they challenged the authorities with these words, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. You lock us up? Well, we'll sing about that in jail. You remember Paul and Silas? You lock us up, you tie our hands, that's good. 
We'll sing about that there. We'll talk to the fellow prisoners about that. You release us out of jail, we'll do it again. Why? God is with us. The very fact of the resurrection of Jesus changed the life of the Apostle Paul. He who persecuted the church became an apostle of the gospel of hope. It is this man who now gives every bit of strength to, the, to preach the message of Jesus Christ. And we find him in our reading this morning on the ship, tossed about by the waves of the sea, facing danger and hunger. For what reason? For the victory of the gospel. And he said to the people who said they've given up all hope to be saved. Fear not. I believe God. And Samuel took a stone, Ebenezer. Thus far the Lord has helped us. With these words he acknowledged that the victory was because of God and not because of their own doing. But with these words he always wanted the Israelites to know that the battle is ongoing. Thus far. It's not to say, here we won the war. Thus far, the battle is ongoing. With these words, he says, you've got a job to do. There was no resting on, on your laurels. The battle against the enemy of the church is an ongoing battle. But the grace of these words is the anchor for the church in times of battle. As the Lord's help Helped in the past, as the Lord's helped in the past, so He will be our helper in the future. And we've got far more than a stone with an inscription on it somewhere in the fields, not far away from Mizpah in Israel. We've got far more than that on Calvary's hill. There was a cross planted. And in the rock face of one of the hills of Jerusalem, Joseph of Arimathea had a grave. There they buried the king of the world and the savior of the world, but the tomb is empty. And today, like Samuel, we say, Ebenezer, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. But we look forward to celebrate the future in Christ. The resurrection of our Lord spans all of history and it includes the future. Let's involve ourselves in this battle. Do, let's do not. Do it in our own power, but do it in the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Trust Him and pray and rid ourselves of the things of this world and do it God's way. Let's do it and go forth under the banner of Christ who gave us this great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Lord and the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. May God bless us. May God help us to understand from this chapter and these words.
The victory is not ours, but it also means that we have to dig deep in our hearts and repent before God and trust Him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that we may learn from what happened to your people in the Old Testament. And we thank you, Father, that we have the cross of Jesus Christ in the open grave and that you've given us the, the sacraments too, that through that we may have an, an, a display of your mercy and grace and your victory over, over hell and, and death and Satan. We repent from our, our evil Lord and we pray that you will give us the victory not only in our personal lives and in our families but in the church so that the numbers will not shrink but that will grow and that you will add to your church those who are saved each day, every day. Astound us, Lord, we pray with your wonderful work and your victory in the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.